Welcome to the Draft Champions Podcast. We're here. Um, uh, we're going nitro on this podcast here. We got Gecko Industries, aka Mark Cerebro, and uh, Jason Dupont at Jay Tazala, old um, Hall of Fame uh, Boston player. How you guys doing? We're doing great. I, I think that was a pretty poor introduction for uh, Mark Cerebro, though. Mm. Uh, I probably have known him longer than almost anybody in the NFBC. And uh, if you don't know him, let me tell you a couple things. Uh, in terms of longevity, he's played longer than anyone. He was in the inaugural class. Consistency. Uh, you know, everyone tries to talk who the best players are. Um, although money is obviously very important, and I'm sure Mark has nothing to hide there. He's always near the top. Not only does he have the most main events in NFBC history, um, a couple things I find extremely impressive. He's played in 42 main events, 42. He has finished in the top five. And the reason I'm going to cut this at the top five, is, of course, the top three is money. But if you're in the top five, you're competitive. You're in the hunt. 31 out of 42 times he has finished in the top five, 74% of his main events. And on the flip side, bottom third, 11th place, 12th through 15th, 2%, two times in, in uh, his total NFBC history, he has finished in the bottom five. He's also dominated multiple formats, uh, DCs, auctions, high stake events. And um, I've battled many times with him with live events. And I think pound for pound, I consider him the greatest player in NFBC history. So welcome, Mark. Wow. Holy shit. How do I follow that up? How do I follow oh, that, that up? That playing because, uh, i'm already i'm already behind that i can't even do if i finished for the rest of my life i can't even i've already finished in the bottom third in the main event too many times <laughs> yeah well thanks for having me number one zach uh and it's uh, great to join jason here it's uh very humbling and uh i don't realize all the accomplishments until uh you kind of rattle them off uh jason but uh, i know you uh, have won lots of different formats uh, main event ultimate super uh super Super auction. Uh, you got a great all-around resume. So uh, I'm really stoked for this fantasy baseball season. Uh, kind of going all out here for the uh, the main event. That's $200,000. Get some life-changing money here. Uh, but I just wanted to follow up real quick on what you said about my main event career. Uh, I, I didn't know those statistics uh, th that you rattled off, but I do know uh, because I looked at it. If you, if you take out the luck-driven 2020 COVID season where I signed up for I think it was like nine sprint main events, which is like one third of a season. Uh, you take those out. I've won 36% of the main events I've entered. Uh, th that's probably my, my most favorite accomplishment I've done. And, and nothing against the people that won in 2020, but it was basically luck driven. So, uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me on guys. Uh, and uh, let's keep this podcast focused on the listeners, your audience. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think they're going to get a lot from this because I'm I'm fortunate to be able to talk to you guys on a regular basis. And um, one thing that I've taken from you guys, you guys are both very confident and uh, especially at the draft table, you make quick decisions and you make good decisions. So I think um, that's what you're going to help people do. And um, that speaking of that sprint season, uh, I don't I don't think KJ Duke will agree with you because uh, I, I, I saw some uh, I saw something on Twitter where he wants to weigh the 2020 season even higher in his rankings. So you're yeah, saying well, you're saying something completely different. That's that's some bullshit. Uh, you can't diminish somebody having uh, the fortitude to last this out 26 weeks, uh, 162 game season, and equate that as equivalent to someone doing it for one third of a season. You're diminishing the the accomplishments of people that have done it 
uh, over the course of the full season. That's my opinion. Cool. So let's get into the podcast. We have an agenda. We have one hour. We have, it's basically like speed chess with you three, bro. We, we can't, we can't exceed this one hour. So let's get right into this. So let's get into the, hey, I did set my alarm clock. I got 60 minutes, but if I can interrupt you, Zach, and, and sorry, Jason, uh, let's, let's try and keep this focused on uh, the listeners. So how about we start off the podcast with uh, some listener questions? Let's go. Is that, does that work for you guys? Let's go. James, James Maple has the first question here on the agenda. He asks, how are you setting your KDS this year? You want to take that, Jay? Yeah, I'll chime in. Number one, I, I don't care. This is probably my last decision in the whole process. Um, as of today, I would probably prefer one through five. You get that five category bat, and then you have options in round two or three, elite closers, elite starting pitchers. Um, after that, I like the back 10 through 15, you have the opportunity to get two significant bats. I feel that there is a drop off with offense in the middle of the second round. So if you're towards the back end, you have an opportunity to get two bats, if that's your style. And last but not least is six through nine. And that's just more of the being in the middle, catching, falling values, uh, not missing out on runs. Um, to me, it just feel, always feels comfortable being right in the middle of the draft. But in reality, this is, um, in my opinion, one of the least important things out there. Mark, you got anything uh, to add? Hi, James. Thanks for the question. So uh, draft champions format, I don't really care. I'm kind of experimenting with some things, uh, learning the player pool. However, once we get to main event season, I'm probably going to go something along the lines of four, three, two, one. There's four players I like, and I don't really care which one I get. So I'd rather take the four slot and be focused a little more in the center of the draft. Uh, and that's an added bonus because in subsequent rounds, you can select any falling draft day values much more easily than waiting for them trying to get to the end. For example, Last year, I nabbed uh, Justin Berlander in the middle fifth round when his ADP was mid fourth in a main event, and I happened to win that main event. But uh, if I wasn't in the middle of the draft, I might not have gotten him. So thanks for the question, James. All right, good question. Um, Bleacher Bums says, I would love to hear about any experiences that changed the way you think about the game. Uh, well, thanks, Bleacher Bums. I'm not sure exactly what your question means, but uh, the first three years I played in the NFBC main event, uh, I realized succeeding at this game took a lot more than my perceived talent. Uh, so uh, I kind of got crushed the first three years that I was in here and then kind of figured out what kind of time I needed to be put in to be competitive against some of these people. And there's fierce competition in here. So that was an experience that kind of changed the way I viewed the game, the, the amount of time that other my competitors put into uh, into this game. Yeah, I, I would have a similar accord. I think the competition is is absolutely fierce now, much tougher than it was in the past. Um, lots more information out there. Uh, plenty of big brains. You know, when you hear people like Mark talk or Phil talk or Rob DiPietro, a lot of innovative thinkers, people have systems, people have models, and some of them are certainly ahead of the curve. Um, I also think there's been a big shift the last five years towards roster construction um, and volume talk. You know, back in the day, I think it was just ranking your players in order from best to worst. But now I think there's a lot of other factors that have come into play. So I don't think you can wing it um, like you might be able to for other sports. Uh, I think you have to put in more time than ever. 
All right. Yeah, if I can follow up on that one real quick, Zach, uh, what Jason yeah. said, uh, his last sentence, putting in more time, more time than ever. Uh, an example of that, just this week, I was uh, researching a catcher as part of my catchery bells. Uh, however, that path led me into finding out some new info about a pitcher. And I ended up and moved that pitcher up about 25 spots in my rankings. But I would have never known that unless I invested the time. Is there something defensive about the catcher that would relate to pitchers that he's uh, catching? No. Oh. No. Hmm. Interesting. No, totally okay. different. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to prod you too much. All right. We got a uh, couple more questions here. Jack Kitchen at Jack's Vicious on Twitter. And also, if you, you may know him uh, from his team names, uh, let's go Brandon on, um, on the NFBC. Um, which of last year's bums are you in on? For example, Tim Anderson, Ozzy Albies, Nick Castellanos, Jack Flaherty. Um, there's lots of others too, but those are the ones he listed. Jason, you want to take Tim Anderson? No, I took him last year twice. Um, I, I think of this group and I, I wouldn't say any of them are screaming targets of mine. I'm just using context of the question. I guess I'll go with Ozzy Albies, who was a big target of mine. I mean, sometimes I like to think of um, what I thought about the player last year and what has changed. His biggest mulligan, of course, is his injuries. Although I know he showed a little bit of decline early in the year before he got injured. He's only 26 years old. He's in an elite lineup. Um, you know, everyone had visions of 30, 20 potential. Also, the tier he's in just lost Trevor Story. So uh, I like the current price on Ozzy Albies. I guess he'd be the one out of that group for me. Uh, let's see here. Tim Anderson, uh, he represents a good price. You're looking at 1515, not overly exciting, but once you pair that with about a 290 batting average, a whole bunch of runs, he checks a lot of the boxes. So I'd consider him a, a buy. I'm going to be the, uh, the contrarian here on Albies. Uh, he was going first round last year in some leagues. However, uh, a lot of his value in prior years looked like the result of an elite number of plate appearances uh, with Al and, you know, volume player, uh, not necessarily talent. When Al with Albie's earmark to begin the year hitting in the bottom of the order, I just don't see a fourth round price tag working for me. So I'm selling him. Casty, okay, Castellanos, uh, he got hit with a pitch in my research here, uh, May 5th. And up until May 5th, he was doing what he's always done. He had five home. He was hit, hitting 308. However, however, once he got hit after that, his, his uh, exit velocity went down almost three miles an hour throughout the rest of the year. His barrel rate cratered. So was that hit by pitch responsible for his decline? I mean, it's anyone's guess, but at this price, 910 turn, I'd be inclined to find out. Flaherty, real quick, I was out on him last year. I publicly stated that. Uh, short, you know, shoulder issues. I'm staying away this time. He's 15th round, but there's other good 15th round pitchers that you can uh, hit your wagon to that don't have the same concerns as Flaherty. How about you, Zach, real quick on those guys? From those guys? Um, yeah, Flaherty, I, I'm not in on. Um, Castellanos, it really matters where they're going. And just, I'm, I'm a team, I seem to be getting other positions other than Castellanos there I'm willing to pass on him and get similar other bounce back like another bounce back guy that is not listed here is Chris Bryant um I think I think Castellanos is going ahead of Bryant I'd rather just get my get an, there's a bunch of good pitching in that area where Castellanos is going I'd rather just grab a pitcher and then get Bryant so I'm probably out on him Tim Anderson 
I'm just done with him. I don't know that, that team, um, they don't seem like they can stay healthy. Um, and I don't think his upside is enough to, um, outweigh the, the range, the range of outcome on the downside. Um, I think Bryant might be a guy that in that area that I, that I could see a bounce back on, um, Ozzy Albies, I'll take him at the discount, but he better be getting, he better be going at a discount. He better be going second base is thin. So like if Altuve and jazz, all those guys are gone and story is thinned out the pool, then yeah, I will take a chance on Albies in round five, but probably not before that. Um, last question from wake up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He asks, oh, fuck it. Nah, this question is dumb. Let's move on. Um, uh, format selection. Um, auction. I think, you know, I, I, I've noticed that all the best players play auctions. No offense, but I like you guys, are great auction players like Jason, you've had enormous success in auctions. Um, top five finishes overalls. Um, high, high stakes wins, like oh, multiple, multiple auction wins, multiple top 10 finishes for both of you. So um, I love the auction. I think it's so much fun. I just did the first one last night. Um, how do you, how do you guys um, go about your, your um, game selection? Well, uh, I'll lead off here. I, I uh, also love auctions too. Uh, you can assemble the team you want and not be constrained by waiting until it's your turn to pick. Uh, and you're in on basically every single player, depending on the price. Uh, for me, that's exciting. Uh, a draft really isn't exciting. It's really coming up with your game plan and executing on draft day, whereas an auction is a little bit different because, like I said, you could be on in on any different player. Uh, 200k main event 15 teamer uh, that's my favorite one uh, trying to trying to win the grand prize of 200k I've had a lot of success in that format so uh, that, that's my number one but I also like the draft champions I just started a draft today uh, to kind of uh, see where players are going get my feet wet I don't want to show up for the main event and have that be the first league where I'm put on the clock and I got one minute to decide between player A, B, and C. I want to get that done out of the way uh, now in, in December and January. Right. So speaking of, Jay, do you want to, want to chime in before I move on? Yeah. I, I mean, for the reasons Mark uh, mentioned, loving the auctions, uh, I'm there as well. Um, I just have an incredible time at the draft. To me, that's the best part about fantasy baseball is the live draft. And an auction is just more for, fun than a snake draft. Um, I love the chaos of auctions. You know, you can throw out your best plans right at the beginning. I think experience does favor auction players as well. You know, you don't see that balanced roster build across the board. A lot of people get um, caught up with surprises and go off the rails on auctions sometimes. So for those reasons, I prefer auctions. Um, I think, you know, we're putting in a tremendous amount of work in the off season. Uh, to me, it's a bummer to be stuck, you know, with the snake draft and not have opportunities to get some of your major targets uh, there's no excuse in the auction format not to. So um, for me, it's it's pretty simple. I enjoy them the most. Um, I think I'm a little better in auctions versus snake drafts, um, but all great contests. And I used to play in the main event uh, as well in the past. And I think that's a terrific format. It's just a volume game of how many leagues do I want to manage during the season, especially with fab. Speaking of volume, um, Mark, I think you're at least on your third DC. Jay, you've done at least two, I think. 
I'm like one of those crazy people. I'm trying to um, tone it down, but do you think there's diminishing returns to doing so many of these overall contests like the DC, like doing 40 of these DCs, like some of the people do like Bobby, big bucks, fish, myself, like you do have an inclination to go towards certain players. And if, if percentage of that prize pool is going to the overall anyways, is, is there diminishing returns? And do you think it's kind of a, a fool's errand to be doing so many of these? Well, I do because I'm not doing it. <laughs> if I thought it was worthwhile, I probably would. But uh, on a serious note, how about the uh, folks who uh, have a lot of Trevor story? How are they feeling right now? Well, we can get into the gladiators right now. That's another format. Yep. That's, that's Pre- you can, you can get screwed by Trevor story in any format, not just the gladiators, but um, yeah, that, that's yeah, tough, but, so. but, it, but if you're, if you're volume drafting and you're already 10 drafts deep and you, and you're a Trevor story fan, you got him on seven, uh, you know, there's seven torpedoes right to your boat already right out the gate. I mean, you just got to do more drafts. And you know, if you're yeah. to do 30, you got to do 40 now. You got to run faster, right? Yeah. It's like blackjack. You, you lose a hand, you, you get to double your bet. Yeah. Not for me, but I understand why people do it. What about gladiators? Jay, you, you, you've done how many gladiators? We just finished uh, gladiator 100 last night. Um, I, I did 45 of them. How many did you complete? I, I did 34 and I do not consider myself a volume player at all. I don't do a lot of DCs, but there was just something about the gladiator Um, And in particular, the fast gladiator, um, I think there is a big benefit of doing some sort of fast draft before the lights go on in uh, March. You know, a lot of people do these slow drafts, but you don't have those split decisions. Um, And I love it. I mean, there's no work. I'm done with them. As soon as I drafted the gladiators, I literally hid them on my main page. And although I did have the story uh, bomb, um, you know, if I didn't diversify properly, that's that's on me. I mean, it's pretty obvious that you can't just go get your guys and you have to diversify in that format. So um, I think I did a good job of diversification. In no way do I enter gladiators with the same level of confidence as a fab league because I have so little control. Um, so it really wasn't about the money. It was the first couple of months to do a bunch of drafts. Um, I think there were some lessons learned with the player pool, although Closers went earlier and injury prone players and rookies went a little bit later. Um, the basic flow and order of other positions was relatively close. So I've been through so many decisions of, you know, it's between rounds 10 and 13. I need a first baseman. Here's the four and here's who I like. Um, so I think some of that muscle memory will take me uh, into March. So I think it's a great format. Um, I'm glad it's over though. My brain definitely needs to readjust these gladiators even when we're talking about like Trevor Story, I mean, um, Ozzy Albies for a moment, and you mentioned round four, you know, I forget because he's been in round five, you know, for two months and 34 drafts. So um, I know they sold out early, but I think it was a blessing to sell out early and, you know, train the brain for the, uh, the big drafts. So Mark, you obviously agree with everything, right? No, I'm totally the opposite here. I don't play gladiators. I think what you're going to find out is, some percentage of the uh, participants are going to be pissed off because uh, whoever has Trevor Story or Liam Hendrick, or I'm sure there's going to be other guys before opening day, they're going to probably not contribute for most of the season. And those are, you know, zeros in a format where there's no fab. So nobody likes playing with zeros and I certainly don't. So that's why I didn't enter any leagues. And for my, uh, from my perspective, you might as well push a button on a slot machine instead of signing up for a gladiator. It really comes down to the health of your team. That's it. It's a fair perspective, but I think if you're, if you, um, if you're doing 45 of them, 
you have a portfolio and you think of it as one massive um, brain trust that you've, that you've uh, assembled. And yeah, you know, some of them are going to bomb. There's going to be torpedoes and some ships, but you think at the end of the, at the end of the day, yeah, the more you do, the more, um, I guess. <laughs> there you go. You're going. running faster and faster, the more you do. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, uh, I want to get into our um, uh, discussion on um, draft prep and resources. Um, we talk about some like draft uh, guides, um, written info podcasts and stuff like what you got, what do you guys, what do you guys use? But I want to, I want to play a clip for you guys. I actually have two clips prepared. Uh, one of the, the first one relates to projections. So uh, I want to ask you guys about projections, but I want to first play, I don't even know what year this is from, but, but um, it's a clip um, from that um, includes our good friend, Jason DuPont. So let's listen up. Even that said, George Springer is another guy at that point. Why did the pass on those two guys? All good players. And that's is the superior talent here. Uh, 5-2 talent. I am so confident in this guy. I think he has the ability to be the number one player overall. And I would not be surprised if he was the MVP. And hopefully we can talk at the end of the year about this. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody call? You're right, it would be great, right? This argument basically, he's going to take us to the next level. Forget those numbers that Steamer is projecting, like, double them. Is that what the, I, the argument is? I care about DuPont's numbers, not Steamer's. <laughs> this guy is a five-tool stud, and he's been a stud since day one, and I think he fills the categories better than anybody. So my goal sitting down was where could I get him, and he's been moving up. Um, and I just think he's the ultimate player. So I those he's a superior player to the guys you're mentioning. Tony, why don't you read down to all right. So Jason, when was that from? That was uh 2016 draft season. So March, 2016. All right. So the, the, the key, the key phrase I wanted to focus on there is I don't care about steamers numbers. I care about DuPont's numbers. Talk about that. And I want to ask Mark whether or not he agrees with that sort of um, logic. Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly use them as a frame of reference, but uh, they're certainly not perfect. I mean, we've all seen where some projections, just missed the mark on certain players uh, in terms of their how they're calculated. So to me, it's, it's a rough guide. Um, you know, I, I am uh, my, I trust myself more than any specific projection engine. I think there's a lot of other factors outside of it. Um, it's a good place to start. I think you have to look at it. you have to know where the market is, but um, in some aspects um, I'm not going to agree with it. And that was an example. Mark. Yeah, I basically agree with Jason. I, I don't really use projections here. Uh, what was a steamer or bad X projection for Spencer Strider last year? Yeah, You see what I'm saying? They're always going to be behind the curve here. Uh, and you can name countless players. So they might be good at regressing, uh, you know, players that have, have some consistent uh, production in the majors, maybe. But uh, the only way to win these leagues is to roster draft or pick up via fab breakout players i don't see projections coming out with breakout players and and probably you need two breakout players to win an nfbc main event league so the projections aren't going to give that to me uh so i'm, I'm kind of like jason i'm, I'm going to do it on my own so i pay close enough attention that i'm confident in what i'm going to come up with and, and you look at the scoreboard uh, you know my resume so I'm going to stick to, to doing what I do. I know some people use projections a lot. If that works for them, great. But for me, it's a no. Well, you look. You can look at Bobby Big Bucks. His, his main event win last year, he had three big breakout players that he picked off of Fab. Let's go back the year before that. 
Phil uses, he, he uses, I know that he uses um, various projection scheme um, systems within his own model. And he, his model is like a projection system, but that did yield breakout players like Robbie Ray was a breakout player that year uh, for one. Um, I don't know if he really had many other breakout players, maybe Logan Webb, but yeah, no, he like, I guess you can't, I guess maybe, maybe my question is, can you arrive at breakout players using projection systems? Like, I think it's, it can happen, but I guess maybe you're saying it's less likely. The projection systems like bad X and steamer. No, no, I don't think that yeah. what they have for Aaron judge last year, <laughs> I'm sure they didn't have anything close. Neither did I. I'm not going to hit on all of them, but the projection systems are really looking retrospectively from my perspective. I'm looking forward no, based on all the intel that, that I can gather. I'm, I side with you guys more. I'm not really, I, I look at projections. I, they're, they're, they're interesting and I think they're useful, but I don't use them as, to dictate like my draft completely. Um, Another thing that I wanted to get to is um, sort of on, on the opposite side in in what in draft prep, not the projections, but there's a lot of other information out there and and fading the noise. And I want to play a clip um, about fading the noise. I'd like to address the allegations that I provide a lot of misinformation on the message boards as well as these videos. I believe somebody handicapped that seventy percent of my information is misinformation. Uh, that's total hogwash, by the way, totally untrue, unfounded allegations. Uh, if they were true and 70% was misinformation, just believe the opposite of what I'm saying. And then you'd have 70% truth, total hogwash. Uh, I try and help people, uh, maybe not the best I can, because you need to figure some stuff out for yourself. But in general, I try and help people push them in the right direction, uh, but I'm not going to tell them how to beat me in fantasy baseball. I'm not going to tell them my super sleepers, uh, none of that stuff. And I don't see how any reasonable person would. So I just wanted to clear that up. No misinformation here. Uh, by the way, Albert Pujols, top five pick this year, uh, who's going to probably slip down to eight, nine, or ten in the first round uh, due to that recent news about him not wanting to play hurt this year. Don't buy it. That's what they call noise. Uh, don't believe it. He's a top five pick this year. Yeah, <laughs> That's I, classic. I left, I left the first part in because, you know, it's topical, but um, to fading the noise, Mark, um, there's a lot of noise out there. There's probably like you, that video is from like 14 years ago. And like, if there was noise back then, what do you call it now? Because it's got to be like, you got to be going deaf. Well, uh, there's a lot of podcasts out there, so uh, you got to pick and choose wisely uh, where you're getting your, your info from. Uh, I'm here to give back to the fantasy community. That's why I came on your podcast, uh, Zach. Uh, but there are a lot of great resources out there. Uh, just rattle through some quickly here. Fan graphs. I get some player stats and metrics. Uh, I can query by specific time frames. They got projected lineups. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News is critical every week. Uh, baseball savant, player metrics, pitch use, whiff rates, game feed data. Uh, Twitter, that's where I search for news on players in different situations. Uh, baseball forecaster, I enjoy reading their player capsules. Uh, and listen, I'm only one person. There's only so much time I can invest. I got a full-time job. I got a wife. I got kids. You know, I got all these different things going on. So uh, I need to find great sources 
sources of consolidated and relevant information. And lastly, I'd mentioned the NFB we NFBC website uh, for their ADP. I need to determine when I need to select my guys. I also need to know market pricing uh, when I consider alternatives. Right, Jade, you got any thoughts on that? Um, every resource Mark mentioned, uh, I'm a fan of. I guess the only other one I would add, and uh, I'm not sure if you said this, Mark, is RotoWire. Uh, I think for player news, it's, it's my number one source. And in particular, their pitching calendar going out two weeks, um, I think is bar none the best. I would pay for RotoWire just for that two week outlook calendar. To me, it's worth its uh, weight in uh, gold. Yeah, nice ad, Jason. Um, is there anything that, like, are there any, I guess, maybe metrics or resources that you can cite as in people are just constantly like, all over them, but you think, man, like, I'm glad I'm not that person because that person's wasting so many hours of their day. Like, is it a metric or, or, uh, well, honestly, I just try and stay focused on what I'm doing. Again, I got limited time, so I'm not really worried about, I don't very, I don't listen to too many podcasts out there. Uh, so I, I'm kind of in my own little war room here doing my own thing. Uh, so I, I really can't say. It's interesting. Remember when we, when I, when we were hanging out in New York for the football, we were uh, talking to Glenn Schroeder and it, it, it sort of took me back. He said that he doesn't listen to any podcasts and he's one of the most successful players as well. Um, so he won't be, he won't be listening to this, but it's, um, it's, it's interesting hearing you and him and just like you have your own thing and you, and you don't want to, and you've been successful for so long and it's, and it's, and it's sustainable. Yeah. Glenn, Glenn's very smart. He's a former main event winner. And I believe this past year he took down the platinum league, if I'm not mistaken. So incredibly talented. Right. All right. We, we, um, one of the things that, um, we wanted to talk about and, and speaking of helping and giving back, um, player battles, this is something that you, that you, that you believe to be finding that you believe, uh, is useful for, for people take, take two players, similar ADP ish, and, um, just say which one you're more interested in and why. So let's get started. I gave you guys a list. I think there's seven of them. So we're trying to get this hour in. First one that automatically interested me just from doing these gladiators. Uh, the first one that I thought of was Bryce Harper. And I know these ADPs aren't very, weren't very close when I when I wrote them down. And, and by the way, this is ADP for draft champions since December 1st to whenever I made this agenda, which was maybe a week ago or whatever. So Bryce Harper at ADP 168 and falling versus JD Martinez. ADP 227 and rising. I'm always like, I'm seeing Harper go ahead of him in several, especially these gladiators. I'm like, there's no way Harper's compiling more stats than JD Martinez. And they're both utility, utility only. Yeah, I agree with you. So uh, last I heard Bryce is going to be back maybe around the all-star break, assuming he doesn't have any setbacks. Uh, and then the question is how effective will he be uh, if, and when he returns uh, something like a main event, uh, if, if it's the timelines, the all-star break, he's simply not even draftable. I, I won't even draft him in the main event. Uh, J Mart, on the other hand, uh, he's earmarked to hit fifth in a stack top half of the Dodgers lineup. Uh, you get some good RBIs, homers, and hopefully a nice batting average. Uh, give me J Mart, uh, and the massive price discount. This one's an easy call for me. Jay. Yeah, this is an easy call. And it's not about the player, Bryce Harper. I'm just not going to roster anybody who's out half the year. Think about that roster spot the first four to eight weeks when the fab pickups, typically the uh, the biggest impact ones are picked up. 
Um, you know, there's always the chance of a delay, a setback. Um, we've seen it uh, many, many, many times. And I find the players who stash people like that finish near the bottom. Um, I can't prove that, but it seems to be a losing proposition. And uh, yeah, as far as J.D. Martinez, I think he was a little unlucky last year, the home run per fly ball. Something seemed to click the final couple of weeks. Um, he's like a student of the game. Um, he had said, you know, he thought he figured it out, but it was too late in the year. So I could see a little bit of a bounce back. I don't think the power ever reaches its lofty heights, but great lineup every day at bats. Um, I like where he's going. So yeah, this isn't close. So you get, were you guys out on Jagaram last year um, after the injury, after he was expected to miss half the year? Before yes. and after. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, you were out, yeah, out? I was out afterwards, but uh, I likely would have taken him in the first round in the uh, main event in Vegas because I think he was still healthy at that point. Right. Um, where do you think J.D. Martinez, or, or not J.D., but Bryce Harper settles in at main, main events? You guys are out, but where do you think he his ADP will settle in mains? <laughs> if, Bryce, if, if DeGrom was at pick 150. It only takes one person out of 15 to say, hey, he's going to be back. He could be back earlier. He could be back June 1st. Oh, let's. Yeah, he's, a, he's a first or a second round pick when he plays. I'm gunning him in the ninth round. So who, it's anybody's guess. I wouldn't even take him in the 30th round. That's just me. Fair enough. All right. Our, our second player battle are two pitchers on the same team. Um, I'm actually surprised to, I actually thought their ADP would be inverted, but it's not. Uh, George Kirby at pick 99 and Logan Gilbert at pick 112. Let's start with George Jason. I know, I know yeah. that I've seen you take both of them. Yeah, that, that's the thing. This is actually a tough question for me, and I, I may change my mind on this one, but uh, gun to my head today, um, I would take Kirby over Gilbert. Um, they're very similar. I think I literally have them back-to-back -back on my own um, rankings. Um, I just think Gilbert's uh, – I mean, I'm sorry, Kirby's upside's a little bit higher on the uh, ratios. Um, I think they both potentially throw too many pitches – um, if they can work out some sort of pitch mix or kick one of their pitches, I think they both could take it to the next level. Um, again, I would roster either of them. So I'm really nitpicking here. Um, Gilbert's stat cast page is very ugly, gives up a ton of, um, hard contact. Um, I know he made a pitch mix change at the end of the year. That's probably not, uh, part of that. Love the volume on both of them. Um, I know Kirby is a kid, but he did have 156 and two thirds innings last year, and he'll be 25 next year. So, uh, and Gilbert, I think he's becoming one of the workhorses in the American league. So you potentially have a shot at 200 innings with them. So I would take Kirby. And um, to me, it's a pretty good battle. Right. Yeah. Jason pretty much pegged this, uh, how I see it uh, in September last year, uh, Gilbert did have a pitch uh, change. Uh, he kind of dumped his curveball and increased his slider usage. And that resulted in some great results. Uh, his ex-FIP was 2.98. His swinging strike rate was around 12%. And his contact rate was 75%. Those are things I like to look at. Uh, prior to September, they were far worse. His ex-FIP was 3.97. So uh, sure, September was a, a small sample size. And we can question whether that's sustainable over the, the whole season. But on the surface, that does look appealing. Okay, Kirby, on the other hand, like Jason said, he throws a lot of strikes. That's his asset. His whip should be excellent. Uh, what we need out of Kirby is uh, for him to go to the next tier is to develop a secondary pitch that induces more whiffs. And if he did that, he'd move up 
very quickly. Also, uh, Kirby would benefit from some better defense. Uh, last year, he was the second lowest in all of baseball and outs above average. Uh, and that shows how many outs the defense has saved or in Kirby's case, not saved. Uh, so uh, all things considered at this point, they're, they're kind of close, but I'm going to lean the younger guy, Kirby. And again, I like his control. It's uh, Gilbert's got to learn control, whereas Kirby already has it. He just needs to uh, fine tune a secondary pitch. Right. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on them. Um, probably um, I'd probably lean Kirby because I, I weigh the second half a lot. I like to weigh the second half more than most people do. So I think he had a really uh, good second half and Logan Gilbert kind of looks like Yancey Eaton. So um, that would be a further um, reason to um, pick Kirby. Um, so moving on to um, moving on to our third player comparison. Um, we got Estuary Ruiz at pick 270. And um, Jose Siri at pick 301. Uh, All right, short and sweet here. Uh, okay. Siri, 27 years old, fast, career strikeout rate of 33%. Ruiz, 23 years old, fast, sub 20% strikeout rate in his major league audition last year. His minor league K rates are also under 20%. Siri has more pop, but that that K rate is just way too massive for me to embrace. Uh, could threaten his playing time, especially with the Rays. I'll take Ruiz, even though his home ballpark stinks. Jay? Yeah, I, I agree. The biggest thing with young kids to me that I dislike is the uh, strikeout rate and uh, inability to make contact. And Siri looks like a nightmare. And it goes all the way back in his minor league history, too. It's not like just just came up a year ago. Um, I think the glove keeps him in the lineup. He does have uh, impact defense, but... The average could be absolutely brutal. And Ruiz is on the perfect team. He is on the best team to be on, a uh, team going nowhere. Um, and, yeah, I think Ruiz, it's impressive, the low K rate, uh, similar to Mark's point as well. So this is not close to me, these two. Yep. I don't think I need to say anything more. I I agree with you guys. The only thing with Siri is, yeah, that team sucks. The Rays are uh, an avoid. But anything the Astros gave up turns into gold. T uh, look at T. Oscar, Sandoval. They just had too many good players and he was one of those guys that they just had to let go. And they had just, they were just like in the fucking zone when they were um, developing those players back in that, whatever that period, five, six years ago. Uh, there's other players I listed JD Davis. They just had to like, let these players go and series one of them um, anyways, but I hey, still, the Astros let, let go of Guriel. Are you bankrolling him this draft season? <laughs> He's thought of, it's a different story there. <laughs> anyway, I agree. I agree with you guys. I would pick Ruiz for sure as well. Uh, fourth player battle is Zach Wheeler at ADP 55 and Julio Urias at pick 56. So they're basically same spot. Start with Jay there. Yeah. Um, I think Wheeler is uh, the better pitcher, but I am going to go with um, Urias. And I know projection engines hate Urias, but I think they're just missing the mark. He gives up uh, extremely weak contact and he's become extremely durable. Um, you know, you go back in his injury history. Last major injury, 2018, um, he had that shoulder issue, of course. And since then, he's really been a clean slate. I'm not going to count a little calf injury, 11 games in uh, 2021. Um, team context, I think over the last two years, he has like seven more wins than the second highest uh, pitcher in baseball. So I do think that's a real thing. Um, as far as Wheeler, I think his main value is kind of thinking of him as a workhorse. And I just wonder if he's going to break down a little bit. You know, he had the offseason shoulder issue. 
Um, came back from that. It delayed the season a little bit. He had some forearm tendonitis in late August. Um, I wouldn't say I'm out. I would take Wheeler in the right spot. So it's not someone I'm completely fading. Um, but similar to the Kirby Gilbert one, I would probably have Urias one spot ahead of um, Wheeler for that reason. Right. Mark. Uh, Wheeler had a late season forearm strain. So I'd be cautious about drafting him at this point in the season. Uh, now, if he proves healthy in spring training or uh, looking healthy, velocity is good. Maybe I move him up a little bit, but right now, very cautious. Urias, on the other hand, let's go scoreboard. All right. Over the last two years amongst qualified starters, Urias, like Jason said, has the most wins in baseball. He has 37. Next, the, the, the runner up is Garrett Cole with 29. That's eight more wins than than the next guy. He has the third best ERA in baseball over the last two years, 2.57, and the fourth best whip at 0.99. And all that's over a 360 inning sample size. You know, with, with numbers like that, maybe uh, the market price of Urias should really be the second round and not the fourth round. Or I think he's going fourth round right now. Uh, haters, like Jason said, are going to say, well, you know, his BABIP is uh, 251 or his. His lob is 80%. He's getting lucky. Hey, maybe so. But again, it's scoreboard and it's 360 innings. I'll take Urias, not close. Wow. I had Zach Wheeler circled here, but to be honest, after listening to you guys talk, I, I've changed my mind just in the last two minutes. So here, here's the other thing with Wheeler. Okay. If you remember Carlos Rodon, the end of the 2021 season, his velocity went down. He had a shoulder injury. Okay. He was off my board, kind of like Wheeler is right now. But in 2022 in spring training, once I, I was actually in Vegas when, because the start was delayed to the season uh, or spring training that uh, I saw he was popping 96, 97 in spring training games. I moved Rodon right back up. Okay. So I can see a similar thing with Wheeler this spring. Okay. But right now, no, Wheeler's off my board. E easily Urias. Yeah, I was just going to say the only thing with in, is, is his injury because how many players, how many pitchers would could you approach 230 to 250 strikeouts with a full workload? And I think Wheeler's one of them. And he would like not too long ago where we were all thinking Wheeler, greater sign, Nola. Um, uh, I believe that was like mid-season 2021 or whatever, not too long ago. And it's just it's just the health. But I think with the, with the points you made about Urias and – um, reminding me about the forearm strain at the end. That's those are valid points. So um, that's tough. I, I was going to say Wheeler, but I think you guys have convinced me otherwise. Um, fifth player battle: Von Grissom, ADP one eighty nine; Jonathan India, ADP one eighty nine. Start with Jay. Yeah, th these two aren't close to me. Um, we'll just knock Grissom off right away. He's probably the ninth hitter versus India's leadoff hitter. Um, you have the PT risk, which I think is significant. Um, until we see the opening day roster, I'm not fully sold that he's going to be the shortstop. You know, they sent Ron Washington to work on him with defense. You know, Braves are a great team. They're not going to mess around. If this kid can't pack it defensively, he's not going to play. Um, there's also a couple free agent shortstops. I know the big ones are gone right now. There might be some trades. So there's too many um, red flags for me to take him at this level. Um, Lead off. Uh, again, back to India, leadoff, you got the ballpark. Um, last year, just a malady of injuries. 
Um, with that being said, with India, he's not clean as well. Of all the injuries for a hitter, I really hate the um, hamstring ones. He had two separate hamstring issues, and I still have um, nightmares once in a while thinking about Kettle Marte. So um, I hope that doesn't linger on there. But either way, this is a landslide for me, India versus Grissom. Yeah, so Grissom was 21 last year, all right? And his minor league numbers paint a nice picture. But the thing I didn't like uh, was how his major league strikeout rate increased from 15% in August all the way to 28% in September to 100% in the playoffs. He, he only got a couple at-bats in the playoffs. Uh, he also lost playing time to Orlando Arcia at the end of the year. Extremely risky for all the, the reasons Jason mentioned. So India, on the other hand, was banged up multiple times last year, never got on track. Hey, I love the ballpark. I love that he's earmarked to hit early in the lineup. And his playing time just seems more of a sure thing than Grissom at this point. Uh, so I'll go uh, India on this one. Bonus question. Um, given your guys' disdain for Grissom, would you take Estuary Ruiz going up 100 picks later over Von Grissom? Yes. Jason says yes. Mark? PT, PT safe. Uh, well, different positions. I'm, I'm not sure. Right. Okay. Uh, fair, fair enough. No, I, I'd probably buy Grissom at some point. If, if, if Grissom fell to the 270 where Ruiz is going, is that what you're saying? Like if yeah. they're both on the draft board at the same time that late? Well, I'd, yeah. I'd go Grissom because everybody else that bought him bought him much earlier than me. That, that makes sense. Um, I've, I've heard executives that like they, I read an article saying unnamed executives see Ruiz as a bench player, but maybe, maybe like when all is said and done, but I think he's going to get an opportunity this year. Um, well, I mean, he could be Zach. So that's a good point. I mean, the, the question before was Ruiz or Siri, honestly, I'm not looking for either one to, to, to be honest. Uh, I, I probably did something wrong if I'm trying to draft one of those guys as my starter. But hey, I had to answer the question that was posed to me, right? Ruiz right. or Siri. Yep. Uh, but you got, Grissom, you, got, you got a gun to your head right now. If Grissom works out, I, I think he'll be more valuable than Ruiz. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Talking about similar type of players here, our sixth player battle here is Jared Kellenick at pick 302 and Oswaldo Cabrera at pick 302. So Kalanick was 22 last year, so very young. Uh, he was one of the worst hitters versus the shift, which gives everybody hope that his numbers will improve at least some just based on the new shift rules. Uh, on the flip side, he strikes out a lot, and he doesn't have much power versus left-handers. Uh, so best case is he's a platoon hitter. So, and he's hitting, where, ninth in the lineup, earmarked to be ninth, uh, somewhere down there. So to draft him... You're hitching your wagon to a platoon hitter, hitting seven, eight, nine. Uh, also, the Mariners just added Pollock, which puts his playing time even at more risk. Cabrera, on the other hand, is a switch hitter, can play all over the field, which bodes well for his playing time. Uh, Yankees still don't have a, a real left fielder. Uh, and last September, Cabrera's first full month of the season, he put up five homers and three steals. His minor league numbers do paint a picture of a nice homer speed profile. Uh, so I'm going Cabrera. Okay. That's, <laughs> I know it's coming here, but I just want to hear the reasoning. Um, yeah. I had to think of something good. Cause I think, you know, first off, neither of them are targets. Uh, I really don't want Kalenic. 
he feels very replacement level. You know, like Mark said, I think he nailed it. At best, he's a seven, eight, nine hitter. That's a platoon hitter. So um, those are guys that you can fab and take shots on. So not a target. Um, he did have a nice little short sample. I mean, it was a couple of weeks at the end of the year, had a really high barrel rate. I know it was a very limited size. So I do think he has some pop in his bat. Um, as far as Cabrera, uh, he's definitely the superior player over his competitor on the Yankees, but do not put it past Brian Cashman to play Aaron Hicks. He still has not, uh, basically said Cabrera is the starter. Everything I've read is they like Cabrera as kind of a super utility guy. Um, I know the Yankees can burn money like a lot of big teams, but they do still control Hicks for three more years. That was a great contract, uh, Cashman. So, um, I just don't think the playing time is as safe as it uh, appears. Now, naturally, injuries are going to occur, and there probably will be a spot for Cabrera. But um, I still think Aaron Hicks gets in there. I hope he does as a Red Sox fan, too. <laughs> so who do you pay? Who are you taking? I'm taking Kalenic. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that means Cabrera is dead to you if you're taking Kalenic. Jeez. Well, it's a, it's a Yankee. You can't. I'm trying to pump up Aaron Hicks too. He's going to get PT. Let's go. Yeah, draft Aaron yeah, Hicks. That's, yeah, that's, right. the, that's the underlying message of this podcast. Draft Aaron Hicks. All right. Number seven, Jose Altuve at pick 43 versus Jazz Chisholm pick 47. Who wants to go start? Who wants to go first? Well, this uh, comes down at what you want to build your team around. Okay. You got a steady Altuve. He's averaged 30 homers, 10 steals, 291 batting average over the last three full seasons. Uh, who else can say that? Uh, or the upside of Jazz, who could put up a 30-30 season and no, nobody would be surprised. Uh, it's also possible Jazz's average bumps up uh, with uh, the shift ban. He had much better numbers last year without the shift. And by the way, the projection systems love Jazz this year. Their projections have him as a second-round player that you can currently buy at the 3-4 turn. So projection lovers should be all over Jazz. Uh, for me, I'll take the proven production of Altuve and uh, acquire the stolen bases elsewhere. Fair enough. Jay? Yeah, same thing. Altuve feels much safer. I think four out of five categories, he's going to have Jazz. I mean, you're taking Jazz with the hope that the stolen bases happen. Um, I'm very uh, risk adverse, so I, I mention a lot of injuries, but you know, I can't get past 2021 strain hamstring. Last year, stress fracture in his back. He also had torn meniscus surgery at the end of the year. I don't know if that helps your speed or not, but um, he's been very banged up for a young kid. Already has issues against lefties, so maybe he's bottom of the order versus lefties, top of the order versus righties. Uh, I do like that Don Mattingly is gone from there. Obviously, them two had turbulence, but um, I'm going to take Altuve all day. I think that's a nice, safe play. Altuve's numbers, to me, look like Mookie Betts numbers, what you're kind of expecting in the player. Yep. So we were talking a little bit beforehand, and and this wasn't this might have been on the original agenda that got away, but just quickly, you don't have to give me a reason. Um, Alex, and this is this is maybe for Jay and Mark. You can answer if you want because it's Red Sox. Verdugo versus Yoshida. Alex Verdugo versus what's his name? Yoshida Masataka Masataka Yoshida. I'm gonna go. Um, I, I I think they've. In terms of values, I have them very close to one another. So obviously I'm a fan, but um, I guess I would give the lean to Verdugo because I think Yoshida is going to be a better real life player. You know, hopefully he's an on-base monster um, walking a ton. So, you know, for that reason, 
Um, I think Verdugo still hasn't had his best year, although I do. Uh, I don't think Fenway fits him well for power. Um, but, you know, considering I think Yoshida is going to be more of an OBP force, I will go with Verdugo. I'll yeah, take the, I've, I've, oh, go ahead, Zach. No, I, I, I was going to say I read that uh, Cora said that Verdugo is really balked up and, they, and he wants to run more. He was talking about Trevor Story running more. He wants the team to run more. I read that. On the other hand, all these projection systems have big uh, purple eggplants for um, Yoshida. Yeah, I'm not a Verdugo guy. I mean, I didn't know that new intel that you brought out. He's trying to bulk up and and run more this year. Uh, If that's true, that could sway me a little bit. I'll have to look into that. But for me, I'll take the new guy, especially since he's uh, earmarked to lead off. Um, Neither one's really a target where they're going, but uh, I'll, I'll take the new guy. All right. Let's uh, move into our um, our first five-round fade section, where each of us are going to give a fade in each of the first five rounds. So um, let's start with round one. Jay, who are you fading in round one? Uh, I'm going to fade Otani. Uh, multiple reasons here. And when I say fade, um, I would take him probably five to seven picks after his ADP, which means I'm not going to get him. But uh, good old utility only. That's number one. Um, I know you have the choice of uh, to pitch or hit. Um, and I understand there's only, there's a couple weeks where you almost have to start him as a pitcher, short weeks or if he's double starting. But quite frankly, if I'm drafting Otani, he's one of my main power and speed guys. I want to put him in my offensive lineup every week. So that option just doesn't mean as much to me as it means to other people. Um, I'm speaking of a fab league. I think in a DC, Otani has uh, extra value. Uh, the big one to me is the stolen bases, though. Um, 11 stolen bases and caught nine times last year, Otani. 11 stolen bases caught nine times. And he already is obviously a unicorn in terms of uh, his player profile. But why would you want Otani running if you ran the Angels? With all the risk of he's pitching, he's hitting, he's playing every day. Um, I can just see the stolen bases potentially drying up. Um, and the Angels lineup is a little bit better. So when he's on base, I think there'll be uh, some fairly decent hitters uh, up behind him. So uh, I'm going to fade Otani. Okay. Yes, for these uh, player fades, guys, uh, I didn't always select the most obvious player because that's kind of boring. And I think your uh, your audience demands better than that, Zach, and they'd like to hear some uh, different narratives. But this first uh, round one, I do agree agree with Jason. It's Otani. Best player in baseball, all things considered. Uh, but what I don't like fantasy-wise is uh, what Jason said. He fills your utility spot right out of the gate. And Jason, I did own him last year, and I tried to put him in two separate weeks as a as a uh, as a pitcher, and those were disaster weeks, unfortunately, uh, for when he pitched. So I got burnt on that. Second point is uh, I do really wonder how long Otani can stay healthy and sustain a high level of play while he's both hitting and pitching. And then the last nugget to dig a little deeper on your stolen base comment, Jason, uh, from July 27th through the end of the season, which is 63 games, Otani did not have a stolen base and he only attempted three during that time. If the steals dry up, he's going to be way overpriced. Otani round one fade. So my fade, and in, in, in round one, it's tough to find a fade, um, and it, it, it is somewhat format-dependent, but I I, um, I sent you guys my fades, and uh, my fade in the first round is Shoei Otani as well. <laughs> um, and uh, maybe that's a recency bias with playing these gladiators. I think he has no business in the gladiator contest to be in the round, uh, to be a round pick, round one pick, and more often than not, he was. 
Um, again, he clogs your, he clogs your utility spot. If you're taking him as a pitcher in the, in the gladiator, you're um, just doing things wrong because why don't you just take a better, you, you have to take him in round one. You might as well have taken Corbin Burns. So that just makes no sense to me. But otherwise I hear all your points, the, the longevity of playing all those positions and all the points you made um, even exacerbate, exacerbate the, the, uh, the, the um, gladiator format. So yeah, Otani is a guy that I had written down too. Um, let's go into round two, round two. Um, Jay, who's your round two fade? So my, my round two fade, uh, 224 innings pitched the last three years combined. Um, I, this is going to be a perennial uh, Jacob deGrom for me. Um, again, I, I would say I'm definitely more risk adverse than most. A lot of that has to do with the types of leagues I'm in, the entry fees. You just take a little bit less risk. So I get the whole best pitcher in baseball on a per inning basis, but um, I don't trust them, especially in your walk year, um, you know, 68 innings last year, you know, typically, I mean, 64 rather, you know, that's, you, you want to show off, you can opt out and, you know, he was still uh, limited. So I don't trust him. He's on a worse team. Um, the ballpark, it, it's, it's a good pitcher's park, but it's not as good as city field. And he's drafted around several high volume aces. I mean, look where he's going you know, Sandy Alcantara, uh, Nola. I mean, those are guys you draft for 200 innings. So uh, out on DeGrom. Yep. All right. So we're going to disagree on this one, Jason. I'm, I'm glad easily, this DeGrom love is. Easily DeGrom should be a selection on a main event team if you have a couple of them. By far, he is player 1.01 when he's healthy. That's the kind of talent you want to try and take down one of these big overalls is to draft the guy, let's say, in the mid to late second. That could be pick 1.01 easily. I'm not saying get him on every team, but you probably want a share of him in case he stays healthy. Uh, that's just my perspective. Okay. Uh, but to, uh, to get to my pick uh, is somebody you mentioned is Sandy uh, Alcantara. He's my fade in round two. Okay. And I'm going against the grain here. He's not a strikeout pitcher. He's never had a season above 8.8 K per nine. And he's really gains his value from having those strong ratios and volume. I hate trying to bankroll volume people because if a little blip happens, their value just plummets. Uh, he's on a dumper of a team, which I can see limiting wins. Uh, he's the pass for me. He's the fade, round two fade for, uh, for Cerebro. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I can see the case for both of them. Um, DeGrom, like, DeGrom, I've gotten some shares later um, before his price went up. Um, round two, I do agree there's some other players I like more. Alcantara, I've taken, I've taken him as well. I like Alcantara, but you made some good points, Mark. My fade in round two is Michael Harris, the third, or the second, the fourth, whatever his name is, whatever, how many, however many Michael Harris's there's been. Um, just um, I saw our buddy Ryan Bloomfleet Bloomfield tweet out the, the OPS against lefties. Um, I just think there's better players going after him. That's plain and simple. Um, that, that have a bigger, that have a better track record. Someone that we are players we've mentioned in the, on this podcast already um, players that I think that are going to have a better batting response players that they're just uh, done it for longer and have similar um, range of outcomes round three and round three and round four. Round three. Speaking of round three, uh, Jay, do you want to take uh, your round three player? 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I got the same theme here, but uh, this guy um, ended the season uh, shoulder impingement. Um, just a mess. The last several starts of the year, he completely was not right. And I'm just not messing around the third round on a pitcher. If you don't end the year healthy, you're just off my board at this level. So uh, Shane McClanahan would be my uh, fade in round three. All right. Hey, Zach, before I give you mine, uh, my alarm just went off. We've been doing this an hour, oh my 60 God. minutes. So do you want to stop? So that, that agenda you came up with, uh, that's a five-hour agenda we got here. That's a fail. So we're, we're pretty much done after this, um, after this exercise. So, uh, but, but that's, that's all right. Uh, so uh, round three, yeah, I'll make this short and sweet. This is, uh, I agree with Jason. It's Shane McClanahan. Uh, again, the injuries scare me, especially the end of the season. I know he came back, but still a little scary. Uh, if he is healthy this year, he could rival Cole and Burns as the best fantasy pitchers this year. Uh, if you don't think DeGrom's the best, uh, He's one to watch, much like Carlos Rodon last spring. Uh, and if he looks healthy, he's got to rapidly move up your board. Right on. Uh, I'll make it quick. I'm, I'm, I'll make mine quick because we're running out of time. But Dalton Varsho is my fade in round three. Don't mind him round four, but it's just the batting average. It's the opportunity cost. Um, although he's not going to kill you for a catcher. However, you're passing up the other players that are going to hit for a batting average and fill those five categories with um, that are going to be pros in or positives in batting average. So for him with the, all the other, other, all the other added risks that we've said on Twitter, Varsha is my fade in round three. Round four, Jay. Yeah, th this is uh, the biggest bust of 2023 right here. Um, my favorite one. Let, let's start. Let's go back to the last six years, 2017, um, bursitis, left bicep, left shoulder inflammation, 109 days missed next year. Um, surgery on his left shoulder, 73 days missed the next year, left elbow inflammation, 152 days missed the following year, sore left shoulder, 52 days missed. And in 2021, he had left shoulder fatigue, 19 days missed 2022. He actually stayed healthy. Good luck Yankees with Carlos Rodon. <laughs> <laughs> i like that one uh yeah so round four I, i'm not a fan of taking closers early especially ones without a track record so my pick is uh, felix batista yeah i get it nice skill set last year uh but in the fourth round I, i'm either taking a different position or a closer with more proven experience all right me um since 2015, there have only been a handful of players with a sub 750 OPS the prior year who still went in the top 50 the following year. Almost every single one of them busted. Whit Merrifield last year, Mondesi the year before that, Mondesi the year before that, D. Gordon, 17 to 18. He scored 62 runs. He did steal 30 bases. Um, the only one that was okay was Starling Marte back from 2017 to 2018, but you had A.J. Pollock. Carlos Gomez, Ian Desmond, bust, 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 bust. It's because these guys are reliant on their staying healthy the whole year and scoring a lot of runs. And yeah, they may steal some bases, but if they don't, if they're just stealing 30 bases, 20 bases, they're, they're a waste of a top 50 pick. And this year, the one player with an under 750 OPS the, the, the prior year that's still going in top 50 pick is Cedric Mullins. So I like, Cedric, I like that one. It's hard to argue with history, right, Zach? Yeah, and platoon, right? 
maybe and, or platooning. Well, he was platooning at the end of the year. Sure, I'm not sure uh, our fantasy uh, competition. All the all the people realize that. Yep. All right, round five. All right, sorry, Jason. I know you're a Red Sox fan, but uh, I'm going with Kenley Jansen. And this will probably surprise a bunch of people. Uh, in the last two years, both the Dodgers and the Braves have kicked him to the curb. Uh, his skills aren't very impressive from my perspective. And uh, over the last three years, his XFIP is 3.82, along with a favorable BABIP of 247. Uh, this past year, after the All-Star break, his swinging strike was down to 10.1%, which is uh, getting dangerously low. Uh, also want to mention this year, with the rule change to the pitch clock, guess what? Last year, Kenley took an average of 19.6 seconds to home plate with the bases empty, 25.4 seconds with runners on base. This year, he's got to cut that down. It's only 15 seconds instead of his 19.6 average with the bases empty and with runners on it's down to 20 seconds. So he's got to shave some big time uh, seconds off his delivery. Uh, so he's going to have to quicken the pace. What's that going to do to Jansen's focus? Is his arm going to recover between the pitches as well? My guess is bad things will happen. So Jansen may have another year of smoke and mirrors in him, but uh, I don't see myself taking that journey. Interesting perspective. I'm going to go with uh, another closer. I'm going to go Ryan Helsley. Um, I love the profile as a pitcher. I think he's absolutely filthy. It's just more of the saves total in round five. I think last year proved uh, not only does he get saves, but he gets used in a lot of high leverage uh, opportunities. Uh, if I'm taking a closer in round five, I'm looking for kind of a 30 save potential. Uh, Gallegos has gotten 14 saves two years in a row. Um, again, it's not that I think Helsley will quote unquote, lose the job. I just think his share of saves is not going to be as great as the other closes going around him. Like Jansen. Right on. All right. My, uh, round five guy is, um, Eli Jimenez. Um, he's a sex pig. People just want him because of the upside. They think he's going to, um, do great things, hit 300. He's going to be a mini Jordan that I've heard bullshit. Um, you know what? The thing with him is despite all those like negative things you could say is like, let's say he does. Uh, this is, this is how I think about it. Let's say he does perform very well. He's a fifth round pick this year. Where does he go next year? He doesn't steal bases. So how far can he go up? How much profit are you actually compiling by getting a healthy Eloy and doing what he does? Um, does that outweigh the risks of him being on a team with everyone injured? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't, he's a guy that I won't have any shares of. It sounds like you're selling the whole White Sox team this year, Zach. Yeah, pretty much, except for maybe the, the couple guys that you can get much later. So um, we've already hit the hour mark. Um, I know you did allude to um, the next. Um, Max Clay Holmes. The next Clay Holmes. Yeah, maybe we do another podcast just dedicated to that, you know, 15 minute where I uh, peel some layers of the onion away uh, of, of all the relief pitchers out there and come up with who I think it's going to be. But uh, yeah, I've got somebody identified, but uh, you know, he's kind of slipping under the radar too. He's post 30th round, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll maybe save that for, for next time. Okay. I have, a guy, I have a guy too. I had, I, had him re I had a guy ready just in case you wanted to do it, but I had my uh, next Clay Holmes ready as well. And he is, yeah, he's after around 30 for me as well. Okay. Well, so this, this was great being on the podcast and I appreciate the, the questions and sharing the stage with, uh, with Jason. One thing I want to leave your 
listeners with is uh, there's a lot of things that I'm working on to try and improve. Uh, I'm trying to stay hungry and improve on things. I know my competition is so, so I have to as well, but uh, just want to suggest to the audience that uh, really the, the one way to stand out is to identify some breakout type players, uh, some, some players that are severely undervalued and to roster those folks one way or another, whether it's drafting or fabbing, because that's really the only way to win these leagues. Lots of people will have, will have decent average, you know, across the board, decent teams, but to stand out from these people, you need the, the, the players that are going to far exceed uh, their draft day capital. If you don't have them, it's a zero sum game. If you don't have them, your competition will. So one way or another, you got to find a way to get them. Well said. Jay, anything, any parting words? Can you match that? No, I, I think Mark's spot on. Uh, that was my Achilles uh, heel last year. I wasn't happy where I finished, but I just didn't have those breakout pop-up players. So uh, certainly doubling down on that. Um, but uh, I think Mark hit it spot on. You got the biggest profit potential with those guys going low. Um, yet we tend to all spend more time on the early players. So you should flip that on its head. Right on. Well, thank you both for being on the podcast. Like two of the two players I respect the most um, drafted with both of you guys. You guys make good decisions and you guys know exactly, you know exactly what you want. So uh, I'm looking at you guys. I'm looking at what you're doing and I'm trying to learn from you guys. And hopefully people that listen to this podcast also learned. And, and uh, we're just such great people for giving back to the community. Right. That's right. Giving back, baby. Yeah. We're the good guys, I guess. Somebody's got to be. Exactly. All right. Thanks. And, and we do it in a timely fashion too. A little over an hour. Yep. All right. Well, you want to say where you can find you? Do you want people to find you or no? I generally stay below the radar. Okay. Find, find me in New York and Vegas at the uh, live events. Um, I've said this before, but uh, sign up early. Let's help our good friends out at the NFBC uh, have a record sellout year. Um, leagues are filling up very fast. Uh, I don't want to hear any more leagues of death talk. Stop being a wimp. Everybody in your league is good. Everyone's so worried about everybody else. Just sign up for the leagues. Competition's a good thing. All right. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jason. Yeah, NFBC, the uh, National Fantasy Baseball Championship. That's the only place I play. Uh, I've been playing there since uh, 2004. Uh, uh, end of uh, season winnings are added to player accounts lightning fast. Uh, so if, if you're like us, and you invest hundreds of hours per year on fantasy baseball, uh, wouldn't it be good to make some money out of it? That's what pushed me into fantasy, uh, fantasy sports. And I, I've, uh, I've always liked that decision. Great decision. Well, on that note, where you can find us is uh, catch us in person. If you can in Vegas, in New York or wherever. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you guys later.